Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight founded a company back in 2003 that ended up becoming the leading publisher of nonfiction Christian content with over 2,000 audiobooks published, Christian Audio. And in 2005, he founded another audiobook production company, Verity Audio, with his wife Chrissy. Christian Audio was purchased back in 2016 by a venture capital firm, but he continued at the helm there until just last week. Corey Werner, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. It was so nice to meet you at APAC a couple of weeks ago. I think that was a couple. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago now, right? <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> Longer. <laughs> yeah, it does. A lot has happened for you in the meantime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I'm really glad I got a chance to meet you. As everybody who's been to an APAC knows, it is really difficult to meet everybody that you want to, uh, but I, I'm glad that I, I got a chance to see you there. Absolutely. It's it's a whirlwind always. It is. Yeah. Just one day to, well, one day plus a one or two social events uh, to try to meet up with something like, you know, 400 people. <laughs> it can be tough. Right. All right. So, Corey, thanks for coming into the speakeasy. It is a speakeasy. So what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> Shoot, I should be drinking tonight. I'm, uh, you know, I, as you'll learn, I'm in the process of something new, so I'm just working very hard. I'm just uh, trying to figure out what's next, so right, I'm not right. drinking yet, but I probably, uh, this is out of order, I'll probably maybe grab something after this. Got it. All right. <laughs> I, I understand when you're that busy, you want to keep your mind clear, you got to do everything and, and make uh, sure that everything gets done correctly. Fortunately, fortunately for me, these uh, speakeasy interviews are usually the last thing I do work-wise in the day. Uh-huh. Not always, but usually, and so I'm always, well, almost always having a cocktail, as I am tonight. So tonight, um, it's a little bit of a convoluted story about why I, I decided to make this cocktail, but I'm actually having a Tomas Collins. Uh, so it's similar to a Tom Collins, but it's actually a vodka Collins. But it's not just any vodka. It's St. George chili vodka. So that's why I decided to call it the Tomas Collins, and I figured it is the one spirit that I have in the house right now, I think it's the only one, that actually has a saint in the name. And I figured that would be appropriate for talking to to somebody who founded Christian Audio. So Excellent. Anyway, thanks thanks for coming. What's that? I said, glad you're prepared for it. Exactly. (laughs) So thanks for coming into the speakeasy tonight. I'm sorry that you have to work so hard that you can't drink right now, but I appreciate (laughs) the opportunity to have a drink with you anyway. Cheers. Cheers to you. (laughs) So if I'm remembering correctly, Corey, you are in uh, Southern California. I am. I'm in San Diego. And is that where you grew up or are you a transplant? It is. I'm actually a native, one of the few. You don't run into too many these days. No. And I've been here. I moved here when I was about five. Oh, no kidding. So anything before that, you probably don't remember anyway. <laughs> Not too much. I remember having a pet rock. <laughs> <laughs> then we are similar age because I too had a pet rock. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I think I just got rid of that recently. I found it in a box of old stuff after we moved to Tucson. <laughs> oh man, if I found my pet rock, I would not get rid of it. Well, you know, now that you say that, I'm not sure that I did. I, I really don't <laughs> remember, but it, it was quite the fad back then. It was. That's yeah. Fun. So, uh, so San Diego. So, um, did you go, if, if you are a native of San Diego, did you go to school down there? 
I did. Well, I didn't go to college. I, I went through high school and then I, uh, I actually started at Point Loma Nazarene. Oh, so that's um, pretty close too, isn't it? That's close. Yeah. That's in San Diego. It's in, uh, it's, it's kind of on the coast down, mm-hmm. down near San Diego proper. And I went there, I was a surfer. So of course, you know, it was, we were the, one of the only, uh, was one of the only colleges that had a college surf team. Oh, wow. And, Oh yeah, so that was fun. So I my dorm was right on the water, and I could check the surf by popping my head out of the side window on our dorm. So that nice. was a good time, yeah. And then I, I actually ended up graduating from UC Riverside. They were the only it was only UC that had a business program at the time, other than Berkeley. So I went there. Well, that's not too far either, is it? I mean, Riverside from no. San Diego. That's only probably a couple hours, isn't it? Yeah, I, I kind of stayed local. I stayed in California. Yeah. And, uh, and since you're still there now, I assume that that's partially because you've still got family in the area. Yeah. So all our families here and of course my, my, uh, immediate family is here, both, both of our parents. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it'd be hard to move. We do like San Diego. It feels like home and it's not just the weather. It's just kind of, you know, lifestyle and everything, but mm-hmm. it would be, it would be tough to move at this point unless some, some really key people in our lives moved as well. Yeah, I, I understand that. My, uh, I don't think that my wife and I could have moved here to Tucson when we did, uh, if my sister hadn't still been close to our mom, uh, geographically, because it would have, it would have felt a little bit like an abandonment if, uh, if I was the only kid local. So I, I totally get having to stay places for other people in your life. <laughs> it's not a bad place to have to stay, I guess. No, definitely not. We uh, we went out there for Jenny's birthday. I think it was a couple of years ago now, and uh, we spent most of our time in the gas lamp district. And no. uh, and it was it was a great little short long weekend vacation. Um, we we had a really good time. It's a it's a very nice area. Yeah, I love San Diego. It's a great city. That's cool. Um, so you said that you did business in uh, at, at Riverside. I did. Yeah, I, I always thought I wanted to do something in business. Um, you know, it was part of it was just that, you know, better than undeclared, didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up type thing. Sure, yeah. Part of it was I always had this idea in the back of my head that I would do something in business. And in fact, when I was in college, I was painting houses. I had a, I had a couple of crews working while I was in college. So I painted about 40 houses one summer. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I was kind of learning a little bit about business back then. And uh I thought it was, it was, it was really cool. It was just exciting. And, um, I, I thought, well, I better work and kind of learn how things, you know, how this goes. And then maybe I'll get back to starting my own business at some point. That was always the plan. And then you did. I did. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a long, a lot of years later. And I think I, I felt like I needed to have a lot of things in place, you know? Um, I mean, I had a family, I had kids and, you know, the mortgage in San Diego aren't cheap. And I was trying to figure out when when to make the, the leap. So I was trying to live on half our income, saving money. Uh, I was trying to learn as much as I could at work. And uh, but ultimately, really, I think I kind of you can't be prepared for business. You just sort of have to jump in and sure, yeah. came to that point where I, it was it was really kind of forced on me a little bit. Um, actually, I was just not I was, I was getting a little sick at work. It was so stressful, believe it or not. Oh, I absolutely believe that. I, I'm sure that many listeners can uh, relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have the classic story of walking up to the door of my office. I was, uh, I'd kind of worked my way into my dream job. It took me 10 years to get, I had a vision for the job I wanted and I worked up to it. And, uh, you know, it was kind of that, that job that seemed like the perfect job in my mind, but I was doing it. It was, it was really 
kind of kicking. It was it was beating me down mm-hmm. pretty hard. And I stood at the door trying to open it with my hand reached out. And I don't know how long it was. I was in a little bit of a daze. And someone walked up behind me and was kind of, you know, confused by my actions and asked if I was going, yeah, hey, are you going in? Uh, I woke up out of my stupor, went in and uh, decided I was going to quit that day. Kind of sat there all day and thought, what am I going to do? I I can't do this anymore. I got to do something else. Wow. So that was a, a big watershed moment there. It, it was, it was, you know, the, the, that job was a gift because it was such a bad experience that <laughs> I decided never to work for someone again. Of course I, I, you know, I have, I just spent three years working for someone, but you know, they're good people. It's just, I, I kind of, you know, left such a bad taste in my mouth. My goal was always just to, just to be independent from, sure. from then on. So, sure. you know, but Some, sometimes life, yeah, you never know. Sometimes you need some, something, uh, a bad experience like that to kind of kick you in the butt to do something that you've thought about doing before. So, so that was when you started Christian audio, right? It was, it okay. was, I was a commuter. I was, uh, I, w- I had three business ideas that the, this was one of them and I was trying to figure out what I should do. And I had a buddy who we'd been talking to for years about starting a business and, uh, he had a little bit more flexibility than I did. So I sat down with him and I pitched three ideas I had and he said, I like the audiobook one. Um, so I said, all right, well, what do you think? He said, well, let's do it. I said, okay. So then he called me the next day and said, I quit my job. I'm all in on the audiobook one. Oh my gosh. So, so now it's yeah. two of you. All right. So yeah, I think it's half time maybe, but he, uh, he basically, you know, put a, uh, he basically said, we're doing this. And I, I felt bad at that point, just, you know, talking about it and not jumping into. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so since we've gotten to Christian audiobooks now, I need to do a little disclaimer here because yeah. it, it has come up in conversation. It certainly is not a focus of the audiobook speakeasy podcast, but it has come up in conversation a couple of times. So some of my listeners who've listened to a lot of episodes are probably aware that I'm an atheist. And so full disclosure, I wanted to make sure that all of my listeners know that I told you this before we actually set up this interview. So, that, <laughs> you so did. yeah, so, so this isn't any kind of an ambush or we're not going to get into a deep philosophical religious discussion. I just wanted to let people know that you and I were on the same page about this. Yeah, that's probably another podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a huge podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and and here at the Speakeasy, we believe in safety first. So I've got a fire extinguisher yep. here just in case I burst into flames during our interview. Uh, <laughs> probably won't have time to use it, but, you know, just in case. Nice. So, so anyway, so that's when you started Christian Audio. You got a partner, and um, you said it was one of three business ideas. I'm kind of curious what the other two were about. Well, I, I was a musician and really, really kind of wanted to do something creative. And I, I had thought about starting a business teaching California standards with music. That was one idea. I don't remember the third one was just for some, someone asked me that once, what were the other ideas? I couldn't remember, but I know that was one of them. And there was one more. And he sort of thought that the one was good. I, I told him, I said, you know, uh, audiobooks. I think they'll be big someday. I really do. But you know, no one I know has, is listening to them, but you know, this is, they're great. You can actually, you know, use this time. I'm in, I'm in the car driving this long commute and I can do something else. And I was listening to about 50 books a year. Oh, wow. So you were already, even back in the early two thousands, you were already a, uh, pretty much of a power listener. I was a 50 book a year listener five years before I started Christian audio. Yeah. And so, but none of the books I was interested, not none. I mean, I was mainly listening to the classics and some business books, but Really, a lot of the books I wanted to listen to every time I checked weren't in audio, and I kind of had the thought, I can't be the only person in the world that would be interested in thoughtful Christian books. And right. so that was the original idea. 
Well, that's great, and that was back in two thousand three. So, so that was quite a while ago, and um, and then in the intervening years, it became the uh, the number one publisher of Christian content, right? Yeah, for nonfiction, it did. Yeah, we were we we kind of uh, just had a really plodding, sto- slow and steady growth, and ultimately were publishing. Uh, more nonfiction than anyone else. I think maybe, you know, it's possible Harper Christian does more now. It was, it, it's hard to say, but in terms of an independent publisher, we were definitely doing the the, the most and working, you know, on a, almost an exclusive basis with many publishers because we were um, publishing so deep in their list. That's great. Um, it seems like you had a, a really good, um, a really good sense of where the market might go. And uh, sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. And it seems like uh, in this case, it really did. So was your was your focus on Christian audiobooks because of your personal beliefs? Or was it part of that business decision of, well, I think audiobooks are going to take off. And I think that this particular subgenre here is going to be uh, really important. Or was it a combination? Or what went into that? Yeah, I think there were three things there. One, one was, you know, I, I realized I was getting old enough to realize you spend a lot of time at work and that you, you want to use that time and make it count. So you either have to be learning something significant or maybe be making a lot of money or doing something that matters. And I, I, I started thinking that it would be cool if I could do spend part of my time doing work that had, you know, value for me, like eternal value that would, would make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was on my mind. Um, and then I also, I wanted to actually listen to the books we were, <laughs> we were creating. So it was kind of a selfish thing. I published a lot of stuff I want to listen to, and then I would listen to it. Um, and then I think that the, you know, what was really behind starting a company was, was more, I really had one firm idea. I wanted to, I wanted to, I, I had this idea that I wanted to be a dad who didn't have regrets at the end of my, my life. You know, my kids are older and, and didn't have to say, Hey, sorry, I wasn't there for you type mm, thing. Yeah. And you know, that with the commute and the job I had and my kids were when they were very young, I, I just did not see them very much. Uh, I mean, I maybe see them right before they went to bed and weekends. And to me, that was not enough. Mm-hmm. And so really my, my primary motivation, I mean, really doing f- work in the faith market was, was a side benefit. But for me, I was really all in trying to figure out how could I show up for every one of my boys' events? How could I be that dad who was kind of always there and um, with, without regrets when, when they were adults? And that was probably my primary motivation. And the, and the Christian thing was a bonus. And it was kind of at, at the time, it was hard to buy larger titles. There was a lot of competition for the big trade titles. And so I thought, you know, it would be smart to niche down into something where there was zero competition. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it was. I mean, you could buy the rights to any books I asked for for almost nothing. Wow. So you would buy the the rights outright for a, for a set fee, and then all of the revenue from the sales of the audiobooks would go to you. Oh, kind of. I mean, you pay you pay a royalty typically, and you know you come up with the term and pay a royalty. But yeah, I mean, you you basically uh, have the audio rights to the book, and the publisher maintains other rights. Okay, okay, got it. Um, well, that that's good. It sounds like it was a a good fit in a lot of ways. I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening who can definitely relate to wanting to spend time with the family. Um, I think that from things that I've read and people that I've spoken with. Um, that's a, that's a big reason why a lot of narrators get into narrating audiobooks. I mean, sure, it's a lot of work, but the freedom that it allows you in terms of timing and when you can do the job that you're going to do 
most of which is at home, that's a big deal for a lot of people. It's huge. Yeah, it it is. I mean, uh, it, imagine, you know, you sort of dictating when you, when you, where you spend your time, what kind of work you do mm-hmm. and, um, how, how much you want you, how much income you want to have. I mean, you, you, you're sort of in the driver's seat and, and it can be more challenging at times, especially when you start. Oh, absolutely. But I think yeah. over time, you know, you can structure something that is, is unlike your, 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 your peers who are working at a job. There's nothing wrong with working at a job. It just doesn't provide the same level of flexibility and control. Right. Right. Yeah. There's pros and cons to everything. And that's certainly yeah. true of, of having a, an entrepreneurial bent as opposed to, um, working in a, uh, another company's workplace. But, uh, I'm, I'm certain that there are a lot of people listening who can definitely relate to that, that one thing. Uh, so that was 2003. And then it was only a couple of years later that you founded another audiobook production company, Verity Audio. So uh, why did that happen and how did that happen? <laughs> well, but the, the, you know, when you're, when you start a publishing company, one thing I didn't know is it's very expensive. I, I, I sat with the, I had a couple of mentors at that time and they like, they're like, where did you come up with all the money to start a publishing company? And I was like, well, I live in California. So out of our houses, but that can only take you so far. Right. So, um, we, you know, we took an investor, uh, on about maybe a year and a half in and he came and worked for the company full time. And my original partner left a year or two later, um, so we ended up being kind of the, the original, the, the main two partners running the company. And it was just, uh, what was, wait, what was the question again, Rich? It was about Verity. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so at that time I was kind of out of funds. I mean, I had really expended, uh, all the money I had in the world to push this dream as far as I could. And, you know, I was working for free for the company and I just needed some way to, to, uh, to have, to, you know, have some income. So it started really as a kind of a side hustle, uh, a little business that could bring in some money. We we were doing a lot of recording for Christian Audio, and so I got in touch with some other folks in the industry and began producing and recording uh, for them. And originally, I had a had a gal that I did it with who uh, w- went on to become kind of one of the a, a, a top uh, producer for Random House, but. Oh. She and I, we were working on it at first because I was pretty busy with the business. And then she ended up go, becoming an audiobook director full time. And so I, I took the business back over. And over all of these years, I've just been kind of growing it little by little. But it's been a side thing up till up till recently. Okay. Um, and what's the focus there? Well, actually, before I talk about the focus yeah. there. So for Christian Audio... Is it, uh, it, it's the largest, let's see, the, uh, leading publisher of nonfiction Christian content. Um, and so there's a very specific focus there. Um, is it only Christian or is it more religion broadly, um, or spirituality or what, is there a a very distinct focus at this point for Christian audio? Yeah. Christian audio really is a, is a niche play, uh, primarily serving the evangelical market and primarily thoughtful content that, that we believe to be helpful, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's, we, we, you know, as the company grew, we did more and more content, but primarily Christian. And there were some crossover titles for general market, some business books, because we had some publishing partners that would do books that, uh, you know, for, um, that, that would span larger markets. But the really the thrust of what we did all along was was Christian titles. And, you know, we had thought about getting into other things along the way, but there was always more than enough to do. I mean, in, in, in that market, you know, there was always plenty of of 
of, of, of more content we could produce. So we just kind of felt like that was smart to stick with what we knew. Sure. Yeah. If you've carved out a niche and it's working out, why not stick with it? Um, so then you started Verity and what was your thinking there in terms of content? Was it more broad based or did you still focus on spiritual, religious or Christian or whatever it was, or did you kind of go into all different genres? Yeah. You know, my, my partner was a little shocked when I started it, my business partner. So he was like, what's this? And I said, well, I'm not making any money. So that's my plan to pay my mortgage this month. And, you know, it was like that kind of thing. So he mm-hmm. said, okay, I get it. Um, but we kind of agreed not to do a lot in the Christian market. So I was, I was primarily working outside of the Christian market most, most of the years, although we did some things that were not competitive. Like I've produced a lot of full length Bibles and, um, but it, it's kind of all over the place. We do a, we do a lot of author reads. Uh, we have a lot of authors that fly from all over the country or all over the world sometimes and work in our studios. We, you know, we wow. direct authors. We, uh, we do some remote recording, going to authors, uh, for larger publishers, um, you know, just fiction, nonfiction, it kind of runs a gamut. And I, I do tend to sometimes every once in a while, uh, avoid content because I, I guess I figure, you know, it's, it's, uh, life is short and, you know, you're going to spend your time. And so sometimes stuff comes along and I just say, Hey, you know, that's not really something we work on, but for the most part, it's, it's a mix of all kinds of stuff we do. Okay. Good to know. Um, now I know that a few years ago, I think it was 2016, um, yeah, 2016, um, Christian audio was purchased and there've been some changes in terms of ownership and everything, but you have stayed at the helm. So what exactly is the more recent history of the company? Sure. Yeah. We, we sold the company to a private equity group, uh, Shamrock in, uh, 2016 and then they uh, put us under Recorded Books. So Recorded Books has been managing us. We are kind of a standalone uh, company with our own staff. Um, and more recently, this is all public, the, the company was purchased by KKR. And um, Is that another the, equity or venture, venture capital firm or something? Yeah, another venture capital firm uh-huh. and a, a larger one. And um, so that up until recently, we, you know, KKR owned, owned the entity and we, uh, you know, I was running this division for Christian audio or sorry for recorded books. I was running Christian audio for recorded books and, uh, just kind of recently felt like, you know, it was time to sort of spread my wings and figure out what's next. And, um, I, I, I have that, uh, you know, d- 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 I, l- I love the industry, but I have that desire to figure out, well, what, you know, what, what should I do? I mean, I, I was a little doing a lot of more maintaining the company and, uh, I love creative work. So I felt like that'd be a better fit for me at this stage of my life. Um, that makes sense about the creativity. I mean, two out of the three business ventures that you talked about earlier were creative in nature. Um, maybe all three of them, depending on what that third one was. But when you're looking at music and audiobooks, which is a lot of acting, um, it certainly makes sense that creativity is important to you. And I can see how just sort of maintaining a company as it's going might not be all that fulfilling in that regard um, for, for somebody with more of a creative kind of outlook. Well, and I'm a little... I, I guess, uh, I, th- I think, you know, when I, when I, when I go into work in the morning, I kind of think, you know, is what I'm doing going to matter years from now, say five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking about what's next. And, uh, you know, for me, it's really important to be able to be involved in, um, to, to cast a vision and sort of execute it. Cause that, that, it, you know, 
it's challenging to do. So every day you have to think about what you're doing and how you can push something forward. So I think that's the kind of kind of work I really would like to do more of these days. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, so for for Christian audio, I mean, I know that you're not there now, but I'm sure that in the in the 16 years that you were there, uh, I'm sure that you've seen trends and changes. I'm I'm curious about that market since that is not a market that you know for obvious reasons that's not a market that I really follow. Um, sure. I'm I'm curious, and I know that a lot of other people are curious about what kinds of trends that you've seen in. Um, Actually, in Christian publishing in general, both print and audio, since you have such a, a big market share of the audio, I'm sure that you know a lot about what's coming out in print. So I'm curious about the trends that you've seen over that, that 16 years um, and, and the growth that you've seen. Yeah, uh, I mean, Chris, the Christian market, like, like all of most of the markets, has been growing uh, significantly, substantially. Um, and, you know, I mean, if you just even look at the the APA sales data, it's a strong category for audio. It's one that's growing very quickly. And it's one that is um, where I think a high percentage of the people that like that type of content prefer audio first uh-huh. in the high 20s. And uh, I think I think part of it, you know, the Christian market started with audio uh, a lot sooner than a lot of other people. You know, many Christians were downloading sermons. Uh, 20 years ago. Oh, and so spoke, spoken device. word, but not necessarily audiobooks. And that's sort of an entree into the audiobooks. Yeah, or listening to Bibles, you know, because the Bible is a pretty, it, it's a big book to tackle. And so, you know, you're always <laughs> yeah, creative. Yeah, no doubt. Like, like get through that, you know, it's 80 hours of, you know, me, me you know, sitting somewhere to get, to get through this thing. And there, there are people that try to read the Bible all the way through or sometimes all the way through every year. And so I think a lot of people were the the Bible was a significant portion of the market back then when we started mm-hmm. because, and, and so I think the, the, you know, that market is, is a listening market because they're listening to sermons and, and so it, it is strong and, you know, there are, it's, it's growing like other markets. It's, it's a higher percentage of the sales are nonfiction, which is kind of flipped from other markets. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think that's because it, it, you know, it's, it's a market that wants to use this content to grow in their, uh, and learn. And it's not just purely for entertainment. I mean, there is, there is some of that, but those categories aren't as strong in, in, in our market as maybe in some other markets. Yeah, I, I could see that. I'm, I'm curious about the fiction component since it's primarily nonfiction, but not entirely. So what does the fiction component consist of? I'm, I'm aware of a series like Left, the Left Behind series and, the, and I know of uh, Christian romance authors. Uh, is that the type of thing that falls into the fiction category? And is, is there, are there more like subgenres? Yeah, there are. I mean, there are a lot of the same sub subgenres. You know, it's funny. We, you know, I never focused on publishing fiction. It's not really my area of expertise. Uh, recorded books is very strong in the inspirational market. They 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 basically dominated that market. And um, there 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 is uh, a lot of the same categories. You know, there's romance and historical. Uh, you know, YA. It's it's just that they uh, they just don't have the strength like some other markets do mm-hmm. in terms of fiction and not as long of a tale as as well. But you know, hey, they, there are sales there. There's a lot of great writers in that market, and uh, a lot of really good content being produced. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I said, I know of a couple of them, but it's interesting to hear that it's not just a couple. It's pretty much like the rest of uh, the audiobook world, but with a specific focus. So I'm sure that yeah. there are a lot of people listening who are who are interested in those types of things as well. Well, think of like cl- you know clean romance, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to erotic romance or something. You know, you have the whole spectrum. I mean, a lot of this this fiction would be on the other side. I mean, sometimes it can be you know painfully simple and neat and tidy, you know, and and sort of like a little, somewhat contrived. But there's a lot of good stuff being produced in in our market as well. That's thoughtful and creative and um and and helpful. And you know, it's funny. I kind of had a publishing strategy to to try to find those kind of things and. Th- uh, it was it was really interesting. They wouldn't sell much, and then all of a sudden, they a lot of that content when the market picked up started picking up because I think people do want thoughtful content, and they want even when it comes to fiction. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I I could see. I know that I've read some reviews online for some you know sweet romance or Christian romance, and um, it's it's very clear that the people who uh, the reviews that I've read for that type of genre, um, it's sort of like. Um, they were they were looking for something like this and they didn't think that it was out there and they were really happy to find out that they could find something that they could listen to that wasn't, you know, the more modern romance or erotica or anything like that. And so uh, it sounds like it might have just been one of those things where a lot of people didn't realize there was anything like that. And then when they found it, they were like, oh, I got to get everything now. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um so that's uh, that's the the trends that you've seen in Christian publishing, and you've also had Verity um, on the other side. Have you seen any differences in the trends of the the types of books that you pick up on uh, through Verity as opposed to Christian audio, or is it basically the market's increasing everywhere? Yeah, you know, I think I th- it is a common trend. I mean, we we find I was thinking about this today. Um, when when the first the first APAC I went to, we were just talking about going to APAC. Was it was in two thousand three? Oh wow, that was it, that was early days. It, it was early days. There were about ninety people there, and it was a small, tight knit group that was kind of hard to break into. You know, a little uh, a little clicky even. Mm-hmm. And um and people noticed someone new. It's like, what are you doing? You know, who are you? Yeah. And um it was it was a very it was very early and the sales were very small, probably much less than 1% of, of publishing sales. And, you know, the industry really didn't get a lot of respect and there were no narrators present, which is also kind of, you know, not how uh, APAC is today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was, there were a handful of narrators. A lot of the people that, uh, you know, the people that were there were people that were re- getting books from big publishers. They were really serious and they were full-time audiobook narrators. There just weren't that many. A lot of us had a lot of the same people that we thought of when we, when we did casting back then. I, I think now you look at what's happening and although the market has grown exponentially and we have, uh, a, a much larger base of narrators. A lot of us do think of a lot of the, those people we've worked with for a lot of years or, uh, you know, people that we know that do good work and that, you know, everyone's so busy. I think that's a trend. I mean, just, just really trying to produce simultaneous books can mm-hmm. be challenging, sure. uh, because of the volume of, of titles. And then, uh, there are so many new people too, that, you know, most of the people we used to work with were experienced. We had a small pool of people, but you know, we're getting, you're going to get back. So I think with Verity, it's a, it's a, it's really getting better at helping with post and, and, and being proactive about figuring out, uh, if the narrator can deliver what the client needs. Um, 
you know, because in this case, we're dealing with publishers and authors, our clients, and and uh, they typically don't know a whole lot about the market. So we have to help them, you know, figure out to cast someone who will fit for their needs. But then there's a there's a budget component. There is um, a timing, you know, you want to hit maybe a simultaneous release or they want to get it out as soon as possible. So, mm-hmm. you know, that work is very creative because there's um, uh, not only is audiobook work challenging, right? There are a lot of subjective decisions you have to make when you produce an audiobook. But there, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a, a publisher or an author, uh, they want to get the best book they can possible for the money they have to spend. And so I think it's really fun. And I, we still kind of position ourselves as a boutique firm that deals with and works with top narrators and produces more high-end productions, but but value. I mean, it's a, our, our rates are very, very good. But that's kind of how we position ourselves in the marketplace. And uh, I, it tends to work. You know, when, when, I, when I get a chance to talk to someone, uh, a high percentage tend tend to use us because we're very hands-on and we're very affordable. So when you started Verity, that was with your wife, correct? It was, yeah. And are you both still very involved in the running of that company? We are, yeah, yeah. So my wife is now, you know, she's she directs audiobooks, you know, most days of the week and runs uh, about half the projects. We have, you know, a couple project managers, but uh, she runs a lot of projects for us and uh, goes to events with me, which is very fun because, you know, it's kind of, it's not that it, when you're in an industry together, things are all of a sudden interesting, right? If I'd bring her along to conferences way back when, it just wasn't that interesting because yeah. <laughs> she's not in the industry. So I, I find it very fun to spend time with her. I mean, we've been, uh, you know, we've been through a lot together. We, we, we met as high school, we were high school sweethearts. Oh, wow. We, We've been married now, coming up on 25 years, but we were together almost 10 years before that. So she was 14 when I first met her and asked her if she'd unzip my wetsuit. You know, it was a pretty <laughs> easy line. And she she tried to and couldn't do it. So that was kind of awkward because I, I, of course, knew how to unzip my wetsuit. But right. that's, uh, you know, yeah. So it's it's fun all these years later to be working together. Although, you know, we're, working in a business, I mean, she's really the boss. I mean, if you, if you asked her, and it kind of is true, you know, all these years later, She's just a very competent, organized uh, person. She 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 keeps me on the straight and narrow, keeps me on my toes. That's great. That's that's such a great story um, because I know that being in business together can be difficult on couples. I mean, I I know of relationships where uh, couples have broken up over being in business, and so it's great <laughs> it's great to hear the success stories of you know we started this venture almost 15 years ago and uh we're still doing it and we work really well together and it's been a good thing overall so i i love hearing that yeah you know really really in the in the sake of for the sake of transparency she was kind of not as involved about 5 years ago she came a lot became a lot more involved and that was because really i i i was getting very serious about trying to figure out how to make christian audio the dominant player in the marketplace and i was spending all my time doing that so she was kind of helping me run run the side business for us and you know way back then it was something that we used just to pay for vacations and you know tennis lessons and you save you know, just to save some money because you know and you, you know how it is it's hard it's hard to do all those things right oh yeah so expensive. So it was kind of something that we used to, to just supplement. And, um, we weren't really trying to grow it that much, but I was very serious about Christian audio at that point. I mean, you know, businesses kind of have their seasons and sometimes you're in maintenance mode and sometimes you're really in in a heavy growth mode. Mm -hmm. 
we were uh, we've been in many of those seasons, in, including one in 2008 where we almost lost our shirts and like many people spent years paying back a lot of debt. Oh yeah, 2008, uh, not a good year for a <laughs> lot of people. <laughs> no, I was sort of wondering, you know, if you know, I, I we we kind of felt like the business would survive, but it it, it had its moments where we were concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, so even if it was later that she came on, it's still, you know, she was involved at some level to begin with and then later more so. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's a great success story. I was, I love, love hearing those things where, um, where it works out with the couples. So, uh, you've also got kids and, uh, have, have they participated in the business in any way or, uh, are they like, yeah, you guys go deal with that studio crap. No, it's really funny. My, I have involved the kids in the business and my, uh, my oldest, I, I, he was, he was very sharp and I, he could do real work when he was pretty young. He's probably 14 when I realized he could do real work. So I, I actually put him in charge of my studio. He was in charge of all the tech. He was in charge of getting every session up, backing up sessions and any, anytime there'd be kind of kind of a trouble in shooting in. So he kind of became sort of our de facto engineer, um, and got wow. very good. did that for, for years. He actually, um, we, he, he was, uh, working full time since he was pretty young till, since about 15, he, d- he did high school at night online. Cause I told him, I said, Hey man, everybody comes out with, you know, a degree. If you come out with a degree and a lot of it work experience, you're going to be way ahead of most people. Yep, true. And so he's, he's actually now, uh, he's, uh, he's uh, just finished his sophomore year in college. He goes at night, but he's been working full time for five years now as a financial analyst at a a company in Rancho Santa Fe. So he's got a real career now and stuff. And I, I, I tend to think that part of that was giving him, you know, real work, uh, and, and relying on him and, uh, pushing him, you know, at that young age, but he also had the time, you know, he wasn't going to high school during the day. So, you know, again, he went, he went online at night. So, he had a lot of time to kind of learn how to, how to run that, those aspects of the business. Sure. And it was work that he enjoyed too. He did. He liked it. Yeah, he did. I mean, he liked being able to, to participate and do something real as, as a young person, you feel like you're contributing to the family. And, um, he, he, he tended to always like work. And so my, uh, I've been involving my, uh, my youngest in different aspects of the business and figuring out where he, he wants to be helps with, you know, expenses and, you know, some finances. And, um, but he, he also, um, you know, he's pretty busy with, with some different things going on in his life. So he, he hasn't had as much time. He actually goes to school full time. Mm -hmm. So it's not the, it's not the same situation, but yeah, I would, I would love to, uh, to work with him and to get him involved in the business whenever he's ready. That's cool. I I hope that happens. If that's something that he's interested in, uh, it certainly sounds like you guys have built a business where, you would all be comfortable working with each other because, uh, again, it's not just couples. It's, you know, parents and children. Well, now I got to take over the family business. I mean, you, you, hear, the, you hear the stories. And so <laughs> right. if, it's, if it's something that they're actually interested in and are good at, it certainly sounds like you guys could work well together. Yeah, well, it's, it's always, you know, it's always challenging working together as a family. Sometimes it can be, mm-hmm. but it'll work and it's, it's been fun. And, uh, I, I think I would recommend it. I mean, you have to have a lot of, uh, a lot of patience and you have to be willing to argue almost every day a little bit about something or, you know, maybe multiple times a day because it's, it, the dynamics different. You don't really have a boss, right? If you've got 
people in a family together. I mean, you're, you're as close as you can be. And when you're making those kind of decisions, you know, there's not a real top down structure in that kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. you get telling my wife what to do. I mean, you know, it's like, um, it, it, she, but, but then again, uh, we're always coming back to the fact that we, we have different skill sets and that we, uh, we try to honor each other and, and, and appreciate each other for what we can do. We're, we have very opposite personalities. I mean, any, any, take a personality test. Uh, all I have to do is look at, okay, I'm these two. She's, so she's these other two. If there's four. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's just the opposite. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is really good because that, that sort of helps in that kind of environment, you know, because if you just had me running it, like, you know, we'd have this grand vision, but maybe not everything would get done that needed to get done. Right. No, I, I understand. Um, so you mentioned that you have authors fly in to work at, at Verity. Um, do you, do you record, uh, so presumably you have a studio there where narrators yes. record in house. Um, do you also have narrators who, who narrate from their home studios and then send you the audio or is it a combination or what, how do you do it? Yeah, it is a combination. So it's kind of a mix. I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll go to authors. Sometimes we do remote recording, which is kind of a challenging part of the business that most people don't, uh, they don't go after, and again, it's kind of one of those creative things. We have uh, authors come in here, work in our studios. Uh, we also work with home narrators. Yeah, it's a mix. It, it really, like I said, it depends on uh, clients' needs. I mean, what do they, you know, they're going to have a budget. They're going to have a particular uh, project where, you know, casting is a really important part of, of audiobook production. It's probably, you know, I, I think it might be the most important aspect of audio production. If you can find the right narrator for a project and the narrator uh, does a good job, you're going to have a stellar production. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not you put music stings on it or, you know, you've edited out every uh, every stomach noise or whatever is, you know, we try to do that too. But I mean, if you cast it right, you've got a great project in your hand. So I, I don't want to have just one model where I have to have everyone come here. Uh, it, you know, especially since we're in San Diego, um, a fair amount of talent though is in LA. I mean, I would say about a third of audiobook pro- professionals narrators are in LA. If I had to guess on a percentage, mm-hmm. I, I know it's high for, uh, pretty much yeah. any, any type of acting. And I know yeah. that there are a lot of, uh, actors who are trying to focus on other areas like, uh, commercial and stage and film in LA and New York who look at audiobook narration as a way to supplement their income. Um, so, uh, I, I wouldn't be all, at all surprised if, uh, the percentage was, was that high. On the other hand, there are a lot of us who are out here too, in the middle of the country someplace. That's um, right. So it, it does vary, but you do work with, with different kinds. You, you we also do. said that at Verity it's, um, you've sort of carved out a bit of a niche for kind of more high end and working with the the bigger publishing companies. Do you have a roster? Do you look for new narrators? Uh, is one of the things that you were doing at APAC meeting people to meet new narrators? Or do you feel like at this point for the, for the books that you produce, you have a pretty good sense of who you're going to use of the people who are already working with you? No, I think I, that was the niche we we carved out, but we're certainly expanding. I mean, we we are accepting submissions. Uh, you know, we 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 do produce Christian titles. We produce all kinds of titles, and we're trying to get a little more organized about how we uh, we uh, navigate our roster because we work with a lot of uh, narrators and aware of a lot of narrators. And um, I, I think you know, 
I we're, we're trying to we're, we're getting better at organizing those. We're probably a lot of the people we've worked with will get a survey from us pretty soon, just so that we can make sure that there isn't anything we're missing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the the types of, uh, of of you know maybe things they can do that we don't know they can do. So, but no, we absolutely are are taking submissions and we'll add new narrators to the list. And we do prefer narrators who have uh, you know six, eight, ten books under their belt. I mean, I've kind of always had that criteria, even from uh, from early on in the company, I want someone to, to have done at least 10 books before I work with them because the, the pool was small. And so you, you really didn't need to work with brand new people. It, it did make it hard for people to break in sometimes, but you know, you just get busy. You don't have, you don't have time always to ramp up new narrators. Although along the years I have helped many narrators get, you know, break in and, um, oh, set up studios and, uh, you know, I have tried to pay it forward. I had a lot of mentors and people that helped me with Christian audio. And over the years, I have tried to make sure that I, I carve out some time, uh, you know, every month to to spend time, uh, you know, helping and, and supporting people who are getting in. But at the same time, you know, you only have so much time. So we really do look for people that have some experience and not someone who says, um, I want to break in. Um, although I have helped narrators who want to break in with some consulting because, you know, a lot of times they want to figure out if, 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 you know, if they would do well in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it, it just depends. I, I have, I, I have, I have found and helped a couple of narrators who are significant, uh, you know, narrators is especially in the nonfiction, uh, space, which is kind of our specialty. Well, that's great. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me that much because pretty much everybody I've met, you know, uh, in the audiobook community, uh, is great. And they're always happy to pay it forward that way and help somebody out. So, um, I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that and I'm happy to hear it. Uh, I always, I always like hearing those stories from people who have, uh, you know, taken somebody under their wing or, or just given advice, you know, um, you, you give, you spend half an hour giving somebody some free advice and in today's world, that's pretty darn valuable. (laughs) It's huge. It, yeah. it can make all the difference when you're when you're starting. I mean, you're it's pretty discouraging when you start a business and you've got, you know, most businesses when you start them, you you have almost no revenue in the first year. You're just yep. you're becoming professional at spending money, so it can it can be discouraging. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of people, myself included, who are very well aware of that. It it can <laughs> definitely be discouraging um, because there are a lot. I mean, I when I first got into voiceover many years ago, right, right, actually, right about the time that uh, you started Christian Audio, um, I didn't know what I didn't know, and uh, so it didn't work out, and I I just I didn't understand. And so in the meantime, then doing other things, uh, I read more, I learned more, and I learned some of what I didn't know, but I still didn't know a lot of stuff. And so then starting the the audiobook portion, uh, there were still things that I didn't know. And so it was definitely a struggle. And I see it almost daily online, people asking questions about this and, well, I can't afford that. And if you don't have money to invest in a business, uh, it's going to be really difficult for that business to take off. Uh, you just, you need capital for various things. Um, so I, I totally get that. And I think that it really is huge, uh, just being willing to offer a, advice, uh, if not, you know, full on mentoring. And so anyway, that, that's great. Always good to hear that from, from other people out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, you, you, money is a huge, a huge part of it when you're, when you're starting a business, cause you need money to live, you need money for the business. And I think it's, it's something that you need to be really careful about. But if, if you, if you spend time doing research and you get to know the business, 
there is that time when it's worth investing some money. You know, there's that time when it's worth spending money to go to APAC three times in a row and be committed to connecting with a lot of people there or, mm-hmm. um, you know, volunteering on a group, spending some of your time uh, at the Audiobook Publishers Association, you know, digging into the industry. Um, you know, these are, the, these are the kind of things that, you know, you don't maybe do that year one, but there's, there's a time when it's, it's worth spending some money when you've honed your craft enough to where you can do, uh, you can do good work and, uh, you can't really just, you can't show up once. I mean, this was my seventh, 16th or 17th APAC. And, uh, you know, the first few times I went, I didn't know a lot of people. Um, but I ended up, I ended up meeting people. I learned a lot of, a, a lot, just kind of running into people, hearing about the industry. And then it became not about information cause I was actually working in the industry. It became about, you know, building those relationships and uh, a few of those relationships, uh, made a huge difference for me. I had, I had a two or three mentors that kind of changed everything. And, you know, that's, that's huge. And had I not showed up, that, that would have never happened. And it probably wouldn't be in, wouldn't have stayed in business all those years. I just don't think it would have worked out. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's, it's those things that you don't, uh, that it's easy to not think of when you're thinking about the expense of APAC. Well, there's lodging, there's airfare, there's time, there's, uh, you know, losing your voice for four days so you can't narrate <laughs> once you get home. There, there are all those things that, that enter into it. And, um, and what you don't, what doesn't usually enter into that is the relationships that you might make and you might not, but the relationships that you might make that in the end kind of help you make it or break it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think, you know, even some of, you know, I know that coaching is becoming a more, uh, kind of accepted way of breaking into the industry. And uh, I think that can be very helpful as long as you, you, you kind of pace yourself, right? Do a little bit, get better at your craft, do a little bit more, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to, you, you can't break in all at once, right? This is all of these things take time to, to, to get to the point, um, where you can, you can do it. I mean, I remember narrators who would come to me and say, send a sample. And, you know, back then I would spend more time and maybe I'd tell people, Hey, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you're ready. Uh, we, we won't use you for these reasons or something. And I knew it was going to take a little bit of time to explain that to them. But, you know, there, there were people that came back, uh, year over year and broke in and became, you know, kind of s- s- read, a, have read a significant amount of titles. Mm-hmm just kept after it because it can be discouraging, right? You don't know, people aren't giving you feedback. I mean, most of, most of us who are working at publishers, we have very little time to do that, um, to give feedback. You know, I mean, everybody is just basically going hundred, hundred miles an hour trying to just do their job. Yeah, absolutely true. And that's, that's true in other areas of voice acting and acting in general as well. I mean, I know that um, some people are thinking, well, I haven't booked these jobs from these commercial jobs from my agent and you know, what, what should I do? And, and I asked my agent, but they won't tell me anything. Well, no, cause they don't have time. They, yeah. they're, they're getting, you know, a hundred submissions or 200 submissions or whatever it is. They're listening for the first five seconds and going, nope, 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 nope. They don't have time to listen to the whole thing and go, oh, so by the way, Bob, here's what you need to know about your read. It just, <laughs> right. it's, it's just not going to happen. So, nope. <laughs> so that's why when it does happen, when somebody's willing to spend that time, it's, uh, it's that much more appreciated. Very true. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, that all sounds great, Corey. It, it sounds like a, a great, um, a great thing. And getting back to one of your first points, uh, how did that work out starting your own company in terms of being able to spend time with the family and go to your, uh, your son's events? You know, it, it, it actually did work out. It was, um, 
it was tough for a lot of years when we started starting a publishing company is, is really challenging. It's expensive. It's, it's discouraging, especially when you're really early in something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I paid myself back with time. I had a lot of flexibility. I didn't work. I was, I was pretty diligent and, and focused. I didn't work weekends. I didn't work evenings and I was really uh, present for the family. I took a very long-term view. So, uh, that was all great. I think, I think when it really came together was, you know, you've heard that saying a 10 year overnight success. Oh yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden it's very true. I mean, the first, the first year of business is, you know, you just basically are, you know, having panic attacks every few minutes, you know, and then, then you kind of go, maybe this could work. And then three years in, you're like, I think this is going to work five years. You realize that it worked. And you're fine. You're stable. If you want to keep doing it, you can do it. And then 10 years, it's just like everything got easy. I, I remember just taking a lot of time off with the family, giving myself a, just a lot of latitude and um, thinking, you know, although I didn't have huge income because we were investing always in the business, I was just thinking, this is what, what a great life to be able to spend so much time with my family and tra- travel together a lot, be there for everything, uh, give myself the kind of work I wanted to do. Um, you know, work that I felt was enjoy enjoyable and, and just challenge myself every year to maybe get better. It was, it was, there were, there were so many cool things about how it worked out that I would have never anticipated had I not tried it. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm sure that that is uh, true for a lot of narrators who have been at it for a while. And I'm hoping that that is uh, very inspirational to a lot of narrators who haven't been at it for too long and who are looking at their credit card statement and they're looking, they're <laughs> looking think... at all of the things that they have to do and, you know, hearing that they need to get coaching and not knowing how to use the software. And uh, I hope that's inspirational for people to recognize that um, overnight success is an overused and typically incorrect phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think the one, the one like for a new narrator, probably two, two things, you know, maybe a last word of wisdom is, is, uh, you know, as a casting director and as a, uh, you know, I ran our production for six, seven years and I was always casting books. I was casting hundreds of books a year. Um, if a narrator knew what they wanted to do, they were very clear on it and they let me know that that was very helpful to me. Most narrators would just say, here's my demos. But the ones that said, I'm interested in this type of content and here's my background and here's why. And, uh, you know, I really want to read for you and I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible. I'll, I'll do what, what it takes. You know, I would, would you like, can I, can I, can I say hello at APAC or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, it made a big difference because, you know, you really, you, you really can kind of throw it out there and, and, and get in touch with everyone, but we're all getting demos once or twice a week. And so I think if you can figure out a way to get really, uh, really crystal clear on what you do and, uh, spend more time when you, when you do submit something, thinking, thinking about how you do that, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of us, we're getting the newsletters from a lot of narrators we work with. We're getting, you know, uh, requests all the time to hear demos and this and that. And, you know, all of us are sort of, you know, passing those on, Hey, would you listen to this? And a lot of times they don't even get listened to. And, you, you, you don't mean to. So I, I think getting really crystal clear about what you want to do and getting good at it and really finding your voice and checking with a lot of people to make sure that you're, you've been successful at, at finding a voice. And then I think the other thing is just, you know, leverage your, your biggest strength. If you're really good at something, let's say you've got a job and it's only 30, 40 hours a week, uh, you know, 
take that and hone your craft and do this on the side. You know, uh, too many people I run into say, yeah, I quit my job. And if it doesn't work in a month, I've got to go back to work. And that's not how business works. Yikes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, gotta, you, you, you really need to give yourself a big runway. When I started Christian audio, I had a five year runway. I'd figured out that I could do what I was doing for five years. I, I had saved a little bit of money. Um, I took a consulting gig for three days a week and I was in e-commerce at the time. So it paid okay. And uh, we cut all our expenses. You know, we ate rice and beans and beans and rice. And you know, <laughs> it was kind of like, I, but I knew I could do it for, for five years because I had heard someone say one of those pearls of wisdom, you know, it takes five years before a business really is, gets stabilized. Yep. And I've heard I mean, the I didn't really thing. know that was true, <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I, I took it to heart and I sort of structured the business that way. And it, it does take time. You got to, uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So figure out what you, what, what, what can you do to stabilize your situation so that you can, you can live this dream you want to live. And even if you're just doing planning and stuff, you know, you're in business, you're doing it. You're, you, you don't have to be reading a hundred books a year or whatever, or 50 books a year to feel like you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're in it right then. So yeah, I, 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 I love encouraging people who are starting businesses because I think it is the the best uh, and greatest career path that you could find. Absolutely. Hands down. That's great. I think that is great advice. Um, all of that, it, it resonates with me. I'll tell you. And some of the, some of the things that I've uh, dealt with in for my own business. So, uh, I, I think that's great. Good place to leave it. So where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Well, absolutely. It's, uh, you can find me at Corey at Verity, V-E-R-I-T-Y productions.com. Or on LinkedIn or my name at gmail.com, Verner at gmail.com. All right. That sounds great. Uh, Corey, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I think that there are, there are a lot of things there about the entrepreneurship that you need for this type of work as a narrator, since pr- my audience is primarily narrators. I've got some other people as well, um, authors and whatnot, but uh, primarily narrators. And um, I think that there are a lot of things that, that you talked about there in terms of the business aspect of being an entrepreneur that will resonate with a lot of people. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And hopefully we'll do it again soon sometime. My pleasure. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, hopefully I'll see you at at your uh, 16th or 18th or 25th or whatever (laughs) it is, APAC. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I'll still be going at that point. (laughs) And we will have a beer together. That sounds good. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care. Thanks, Corey. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Corey Werner for coming in this evening. He shared some great thoughts about entrepreneurship that really resonated with me, and I hope they did with you as well. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Special thanks this week to Michael Reed, who's supporting the show on Patreon. Thanks, Michael, for helping me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. 
Cheers.